Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices, Past and Present. Brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, www.ihconvention.com. The sermon today is by William Gale. It was preached at the Dayton Inner Church Holiness Convention many years ago, and it's titled, The Greatest of These is Love. with the American Indian, we'd hear them talk about the white man's book. And I felt like, well, maybe if we could put a little Indian vocabulary into it, they would accept it a little better. And I did it with that intent, not to take anything from the word, but I would like to read 1 Corinthians 13 uh, from... Maybe you can call this St. William translation or paraphrase or something like that because it won't read just exactly like the King James. If I could speak with eloquence like the great chiefs or be able to speak another language without learning them as sweetly as angels and do not have God's love in my heart, I am become as a sounding a sound of a tom-tom or the wail of a powwow. If I could be a supernatural medicine man and foretell all mysteries and events that are to happen in the future, and if I were very wise so that I knew everything and even had such faith that I could speak to a mountain and have it move and have not God's love, I am absolutely worthless. If I give all I own to furnish food to feed the poor and the starving, and if I sacrifice my body by burning it alive, but do not have God's love in my heart, it will not gain anything. This love endures long when suffering for torture and persecution. It is forbearing and kind and never envious or boils over with jealousy, neither does it brag or show off. With God's love in your heart, it will keep you from being rude or unmannerly or inflated with pride. It will keep you from being selfish or demanding your own way. You will not be irrit irritable and touchy or think bad of others. God's love in your heart makes you sad inside when wrong is done to another, but you are happy all over when truth wins out and right is done. Love stands up and covers the faults of others and believes the best of every person. It is full of trust, full of hope, and full of endurance. This great love will never fade away or fail. It will not fall down, but will go on forever. Prophecies will be fulfilled. The languages of earth shall cease. One, pardon me, our earthly knowledge will lose its value and vanish away. What knowledge we have is only fragmentary. Our prophecy and teaching is limited and incomplete to the redeemed and after death or when Jesus comes in his perfection, then all that is imperfect will disappear. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. Now that I have grown to manhood, my thoughts have matured far beyond those of my childhood, and I have put off my childish ways. 
For now we see the things of God and the internal in a mirror with a dimmed and blurred reflection. Someday we will see him in his completeness, face to face. Now I have just limited knowledge, but then I shall know fully and clearly. Faith is big, hope is big, and love is big. These three lasting Christian graces are the sum of perfection on earth. On earth. Love is heat big and is the sum of perfection in heaven. I love this truth. We call John the apostle of love because he writes on it, but I suppose there's no piece of literature anywhere that is greater on the subject of love than the writing of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13. And if there was ever a day that is needed, I'm sure that is needed in this day. The greatest of these is love. I'd like for you to just notice rather hurriedly before I go directly into the message, it's greater than all speech. Though I speak with the tongues of men of angels and have not love, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And it's greater than all speculation. And though I have the gift of prophecy and have not love, I am nothing. Greater than all secrets. Though I understand all mysteries and have all love, I am nothing. And it's greater than all sciences. And though I have all knowledge and have not love, I am nothing. Greater than uh, supernatural ability. And though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. And it's greater than all services. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and have not love, it profiteth me nothing. And it's greater than all sacrifice. And though I give all my body to be burned and have not love, it profiteth me nothing. He is saying speech is empty without love. It's a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. Science is empty without love. It's nothing. And sacrifice is empty without love. It profiteth me nothing. Love certainly is the key to the Christian life. In one of the conventions out on the West Coast, uh, this has been quite a few years ago, it was one of my first times being in the area for an IH convention, and several of you brethren will know my Indian friend, uh, John Elliott. I was called to the platform to speak and they had an Indian who was leading the singing. And I, when he sat down beside me, I whispered, I guess you're not supposed to do that in service, but I was a bit curious who he was. And I said, uh, what's your name? He said, John Elliott. And I said, uh, oh, any length with a great missionary John Elliott to the American Indian? He said, I don't think so. I said, what tribe are you of? And he said, uh, 
Brother Gale, I could illustrate it. Now, we were still whispering. He said, uh, did you ever look out in the pasture and see a cow that had her foot up by her neck and was going like this? I said, yes. Well, what does that mean? He said, that's a cow itching. And he said, I'm a cow itching in den. I learned for the first time there was a tribe like that. And as I like to, I spoke on the subject of love. When I got through preaching, uh, Brother Elliot took the floor. <laughs> he, was, he was enjoying it. And uh, when they gave him an opportunity to speak, he said, Our Indians speak lots of languages. Others speak lots of languages. But he said, This is one language that our preacher has preached about, that the whole world needs and knows about. It's the language of love. And I feel certainly God would like to help us to get a real grip upon this truth. And I believe the Lord is trying to help us by the ministry that we've been getting throughout the convention to feel like that we ought to go back to our people and back to our areas with a burning compassion that will win people for Jesus and love them into the kingdom. And love never faileth. Love will never fall down. And I'm sure the Lord would like to help us to get it. Now, I'm not yet quite into the sermon. I'd just like to give you a little more an introduction. I'd like for you to notice the crowd that he gave the message that I just read in John 3.16. And I have a whole outline here on the book of 1 Corinthians. Man, it's a good outline. You maybe ought to copy it down. I made it myself after I'd been reading it. And uh, uh, there's some truth in it that I think we'd ought to notice. Uh, one of the things that uh, I notice in it is the divisions in the church. There was divisions that was known to others. There was divisions over the message itself. There was divisions over leadership. Paul and Apostle and Cephas and Christ. Divisions because of the maturity and some becoming puffed up. That was the first division. The second division, there were disorders in the church. The absence of discipline. Lawsuits before the heathen. I wonder what they do think when we go to law. The moral laxity in the church. And then there were the difficulties in the church. So he counseled regarding marriage. He counseled concerning things sacrificed to idols. He counseled concerning the veiling of women in public and dealt with this matter of women and hair. Counsel concerning the Lord's Supper. Counsel concerning spiritual gifts. And then counsel concerning the doctrine of the resurrection and counsel regarding collections. And I am sure that Brother Smule is glad there was something in Corinthians about offerings and giving, and I am too. I, I'm just very happy. I, I'm not going to get to take a missionary offering this afternoon, but uh, we do need convention funds, and we need to build the kingdom. And so he counseled them over all of these areas, and so we notice the difficulties. This church that was full of divisions, disorders, difficulties, the Apostle Paul gave them this great tonic to help them in the message of their need. 
Now, if I had been dividing the scriptures, I think I would have divided it a little different than they are in our King James translation, and I would included some verses in the 12th chapter, and first I'd have you note with me the choice of love. But earnestly desire and zealously cultivate the greatest and the best and higher gifts and the choicest of graces. And yet I will show unto you a more excellent way, and that is better by far than the highest of them all. Lest you don't like that translation, I'll not tell you which one it is. But uh, I would want you to know that there is something here regarding the choice of love. But I'm going to travel along. I'd like for you to notice the contrast of love. It was contrasted to languages. It was contrasted to prophetic powers. It was contrasted to martyrdom. There was a contrast between all of these things and this message of love. Over in the state of Michigan a few years ago, I met an Indian man on a wheelchair. I went to see him, in fact. He'd been one of the fieriest Potawatomi Indians I'd ever heard preach. His name was Phil Sprague. Sad it was that back as a young preacher, some things came into his life, and his vessel was marred, and he lost God out of his life, and he went a number of years when he was down spiritually, served in his home areas, the, uh, one of the city policemen, his home was broken, it was marred, and there was a real uh, sad situation, and it developed. In one of the services when I was speaking in a camp meeting, they wheeled, fell down the aisle, and I got to see him again. And it was a thrill I had learned that Phil got back to God. He'd gotten saved. But now marred and uh, couldn't walk, so they had to wheel him in in a wheelchair. We'd been friends for many years, and some way, Phil counted me a favorite. I've got two or three fans that like me, and Phil was one of them that liked me. And I liked Phil a lot. <laughs> I remember uh, we were in the Athens camp meeting. They wheeled Phil in there also. Uh, in fact, he followed me around to a number of meetings, and it was always an inspiration. But in that meeting, he had remarried his... Uh, wife was at the altar and she got saved and uh, one of his sons was to the altar and he got saved and his daughter was at the altar and he got saved and we were trying to take the offering because they felt like they needed us evangelists to help raise our own offering they were having struggle getting the money and uh, said brother Gail you help and so I, I was trying to pull and Phil, sitting back in his wheelchair, waved his hand up at me and he said, Brother Cale, my wife got saved and 
I haven't got a lot, but I feel like God wants me to give a hundred dollars. <laughs> well, that really lifted to have him do that. Brought the spirit of God on the camp and in the area of giving. And in a little bit, uh, he was sitting there and he waved his hand. He said, I haven't got much, Brother Gale, but my boy got saved. And I'd like to give another hundred dollars. <laughs> and we received that second pledge. And then he, little bit, he got his hand up and he said, I'd like to give a third hundred dollars. My, my daughter got saved. This is a big camp meeting to me. My family's getting in and God's working and he's making up for some of those lost years. Well, after that service, I went back and told Phil what it meant to me. He said, Brother Gale, sit down here beside me. I got to talk to you. He said, you know, I'm on limited time. I'll not be here for a long time, but uh, I think perhaps you'll be around longer than I will. And I'd like to have you promise me that you'll preach my funeral. I said, Phil, I couldn't do that. I, I'll perhaps be overseas. Uh, I could be somewhere, but Brother Gale, I feel like my Indian people need to hear you tell what grace divine has done for me. And I want you to pledge. I want you to promise me that you'll tell them something for me. You'll give them a message. Uh, I, I want to tell you what I want you to preach. <laughs> and he was sincerely unburdened his heart. I didn't know how to promise him, but I told him I'd do the best I could. He said, that isn't enough. I said, Phil, what if I'm overseas? Well, he said, I couldn't do anything about it if I was dead. <laughs> but he said, Brother Gale, do the very best you can to promise me that if you're in the States or you can possibly make it, you'll cancel out of a camp meeting or a missionary service or wherever you are and come and preach my funeral. We were bawling, both of us. I love my Indian brother. I was glad grace divine had reached him. <laughs> said, Phil, by the grace of God, I'll do my best. And some of you hopeful sound folks will know that I was down there. And I thank God that Brother Yoakum kindly took the service so we exchanged. I preached on Sunday morning, the closing. We were a long ways away when we got the word. Mrs. Gale and I traveled day and night till we got there. But I got to talk to that family at that funeral. It was estimated some 600 people was there. They used the Baptist church for the funeral to get the crowd in. I looked back at the folk that were there when I got into the auditorium and slipped over to talk with Dick, his cousin. And he said, Brother Gale, I feel real sorry for you. He said, I don't know what the American Indian movement's going to do, but all those guys out there with the bands around their head, they're here, and uh, they're a pretty motley crowd. And then there's that mix-up of family and background, and his former wife and his wife were, were both there, and uh, the children of two families were, were there. But he'd give me a message to give, and I did the best I could. 
He wanted to know them to know that his vessel had been marred, but God had made it again. And, and he was great, grateful for grace divine. And so I preached about the potter and told him that he remade the vessel. I tell you, when I saw uh, two, two wives in one another's arms, and when I saw uh, the motley Indian crowd with the bands around their head, and uh, when I looked out, out and saw that crowd weeping together and the family together and children in one another's arms weeping. I was thankful that love divine and grace divine could reach deeper than the stains of sin and God Almighty could do a work that would oh I'm glad for divine love and it, it's contrasted to everything else it's the greatest thing that God has ever given to us and the world needs it and I believe that he like to help us to share it. Not only the choice of love, the contrast of love, but I notice the characteristics of love. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Can you hear me all right, folk? I think this speaker's working real good, and I'm wired up to electricity, and I run better that way. And I tell you what, I'd like to have you hear me say it again. Love is kind. If it's nothing else, it's kind. If it has nothing else in an ingredient, it's kind. And I feel like it'll win wherever we are if God will help us to manifest that kind of kindness that is spoken about here and I'm sure that it's one of the great characteristics it doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not its own, is not provoked thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity but rejoices in the truth the continuance of love love never faileth love never fails, it never fades out Love never faileth, it accomplishes in us, and it adorns us in eternity. Pardon me, I'm going to have to start again. It accompanies us too, and adorns us in eternity, and prepares us for and constitutes heaven. Now John Wesley said that, that that'd be theologically all right. <clears throat> Prophecy, it will be fulfilled and pass away. As for tongues... They will be destroyed and cease. As for knowledge, it will lose its value and be superseded by truth and thus vanish away. Prophecies fail when all things are fulfilled and God is all in all, said John Wesley. Uh, tongue cease. One language shall prevail among all the inhabitants of heaven and that low imperfect language of earth shall vanish away. Thank God, love is going to be the language of the city, and it's going to continue through an eternity. This is one of the graces that we can take in abundance with us. You'll leave your cars, you'll leave your homes, you'll leave everything earthly. Came into this world naked, you're going to go out naked, but you can pack all you can get of Christian grace in your heart and take it with you to the city. I read a rather interesting story. Somebody asked me when they just learned that I was supposed to speak this afternoon. They said, Brother Gale, are, are you going to preach to us or are you going to tell us stories? 
And I said, did you ever hear me when I didn't tell some stories? And uh, I don't want you folk to make fun of me about that because Jesus was the, the greatest storyteller. Oh, I tell you, he illustrated out of life some real practical truth, and, and I see it everywhere I go. But I read this little incident. A young man in the service was absent without leave. There was reasons behind it. His behavior was terrible. The military was upset at him, and they were going to court-martial him. And in the trial, as he was there, a military trial... Finally, somebody said, is there anyone that would want to speak a kind word for Jack? And it was silent for a little bit when a fellow got up in the back with a peg leg, one sleeve that was dangling, another that didn't have all the fingers left, staggered up in front doing the best he could to get up there. And he couldn't get the words to come out. So he looked at the courtroom and the people there that was looking indignantly at this young criminal. And finally, when he could choke out the words, he said, Jack's my brother. This military man had been on the battlefield, laid amputated now a pig arm shot off and dangling and they knew it another hand that was marred but you can't turn away the expression of love and they pardoned him love love Oh, I still feel like that if we could be identified with a sinner Jesus was there on the cross of Calvary between two thieves. They said of him that he ate with the publicans and sinners. He was identified with them. And we're afraid, we're afraid that some of our conservative brethren are going to see us identified with somebody that uh, just doesn't look quite like we think they ought to look. They don't quite have our standards, but Jesus was willing to be identified with them. And love will help us to get over the hump. Some of you fellows may remember it, but several years ago, had the privilege of going to Hope Sound Camp Meeting, and I always like to go. Before we left out of Montana, a lady said, Brother Gale, you're going to be down in my mother's home area. You'll go right through her town. And I wish that you could stop and see my darling mother. She's never been saved, but she's a sweet person. And I just feel like if you could go and you could visit with her, you could maybe help her to get saved. And I, Miss Gale and I were happy to stop by. We got there, talked to her a little while. She said, Hope Sound, why I've heard about that camp meeting. And she said, you know, I'd like to go. Well, would you like to go with us? Would you have room for me? I told her, yes, we would have room. Mrs. Gale is sitting back there by Sister Whitney. She'll remember this real well. Uh, we journeyed uh, along together, and she got sick. 
she said to me as we were nearing Hope Sound, William, I'm terribly ill. I'm sick. We got to her room, she said, I can't go to service tonight. I just can't make it. She had to stay in her room. This darling lady, rings on her fingers, bells on her toes. If it'd been the style, she'd have had one on her nose. Painted up like a circus billboard. And I went to Hope Sound camp meeting with her. And I wished you could have seen the brethren that knew me. <laughs> but Gail, it's, it's good to see you. I, <laughs> oh, I'm glad Mrs. Gail got the feeling better. <laughs> but it was interesting. But I tell you what, I really believe down deep in my heart, God would like to come on to us to where we are. Not going to have that kind of a care, but we're going to have that kind of compassion that will put the inner drive and the urgency in the soul and help us to care about lost men. And there's a world out there that needs Jesus. And I believe he'd like to, to win them. For himself, how abideth faith, hope, and love. <clears throat> Greatest of these is love. John Wesley said that uh, faith, hope, and love are the sum of perfection on earth. <clears throat> but love alone is the sum of perfection in heaven. I think that's a great truth. You see, <laughs> Peter gives us a little introduction to that truth when he tells us hope to the end. Bright hope will take us all the way to the city. The end of your faith, it'll see you to the gates of the city. But they're lost in the fruition and they're lost in sight. But love lives eternally. That's why he could say the greatest of these is love. And I think it'll vitalize us and help us to reach a world. I came across rather a beautiful little story, Brother Smool, and I like to tell folks about it. There's a lady guess she read an advertisement. Some of you girls that haven't found anybody yet, watch the newspaper. There was a fellow that had a palatial home. Everything in it, furniture, loveliness, but he didn't have the thrill of companionship. The house can be pretty empty when there isn't a lady there. It's their domain. He thought he needed one. I think he did too. Some way through that advertisement, he got acquainted with a charming, sweet, lovely, beautiful lady. And they were married. 
I tell you, with all the beautiful palatial home and all the lovely furniture and the joys of it, what a thrill. <laughs> the sun was shining bright and he was happy. And then she whispered in his ear, Sweetheart, we're going to have a baby. I guess some of us fellows remember those kind of whispers. Happy day when a bouncing baby boy was born. It was such a thrill. What's a joy to this father? But you know a mother goes down to death's door when she brings a baby into the world. This mother went down to death's door and then went beyond. She died. The rich man saw the sunset would never shine again. Once more he advertised in the paper, not for a companion, but for somebody to take care of his little baby boy. And a mother, a charming mother who was widowed, read that advertisement, thought she could fill the bill, and was taken by the rich man into his home to care for the little baby. And that mother became a foster mother to that baby, fondled it, loved it, gave it its bottle, changed its diapers, cared for it, and naturally caring for it, love went very, very deep. Oh, I tell you, there's something about children, and thank God for those bonds. I remember the four that came to our home. I thought when our boy David came that you could never love another one like that. <laughs> but I found out when Alice come a-squealing in that I had the same capacity. <laughs> I loved her like I did David. <laughs> I didn't lose any love for him. I didn't lose any when Donnie came along. When we adopted Lita, my heart just kept expanding, and if the Lord had given us a dozen, you know, there's something about it with parents, and mothers particularly, uh, say that a good mother can take care of ten children, but ten good children can't take care of one mother. And that's rather tragic. Well, let me get back to the story. I don't know why I made that detour, but uh, uh, son had sat for this man, and but this lady loved that boy, and he grew, and he grew, and he was her boy. Finally, he reached majority, turned 21 years of age, and he was just a specimen of health and young manhood. That father was taking delight in his boy when, tragically, something happened and that boy died. And now the sun really went down low. No light to shine. But after the sun had set, it seemed like, and he pined a while. He died. They buried him by those other graves. And then they 
tried to find out what to do, where are the papers, what shall we do regarding his will, and they didn't find any. So the state came in to take care of the situation. And they decided they would just sell things. And so they advertised. The lady who had cared for that little boy. Oh, oh, oh I, I know I couldn't buy any of the furniture, but and I wouldn't care so much about that. But if I could have that laddie's picture that hangs there on the wall, that does mean everything to me. She took in washings. She worked hard. She saved. She went to the sale. Now, I don't think she was a wise bidder. Because on the first bid, when they got to the picture, she bid it all, <laughs> everything she had. But then, very fortunately, no one else cared too much about the picture, and no one raised her bid. <laughs> and she snuggled the picture to her bosom, left the sale. She'd spent all of her money. She didn't need to stay any longer, and went home and hung the picture on the wall. Some way in handling it, she smeared it a little bit. She thought I ought to take that picture apart and I ought to wash the glass at least and then hang it back up. And she took it apart and when she did, something fell on the floor and she looked down and they were papers. And she picked them up, she couldn't understand them. They were kind of legal in nature. So she thought maybe she better take them to a lawyer. And she took them to a lawyer and said, what do these mean? The lawyer said, lady, I don't know what your lot in life has been before, but you really fell on your feet this time. The rich man said that he would give all that he had to the one that loved his son enough to buy his picture. And I, I thought that was a real sweet story when I read it. I even cried a little bit about that. But you know, Brother Snow, while I was crying, I suddenly thought of one that was better than that. I thought about our Lord, and I thought about the Heavenly Father. And you know, I think that he would give all he had in heaven if we could love his son. And I believe this is what it's all about God would like to baptize our hearts anew with divine love. I am approaching the close and I, I brought a couple items up here and the preachers have been asking me what they were, but I'm going to use this in, in conclusion of a message. And uh, some of you folk have heard me tell about my Philippine blind friend. But I want to tell you about him again. And if you've heard me tell it, smile, because you're going to hear once more. <laughs> I want to tell about Dominador. I met him over in the Philippines, and uh, he was the most outstanding young man in many ways I've ever met. Talented. I'll tell you what. He, if we could have had him here to play for this meeting... You fellows wouldn't have had any trouble in taking an offering. This young fella, uh, blind, 
he had only one instrument, and that was a jeep can. And he would sit on the jeep can, and he would play it with his thongs, and then he'd kick his thongs off. And you could say to him, play Amazing Grace, and he could thump it out, move that mouthpiece on that big Jeep can, one of those five-gallon kind he'd sit on. I don't know why he ever painted it. Once it was green, and then he painted it yellow, but you could see all the colors. He'd about worn them all off uh, playing his Jeep can. And you could, he could just thump out a tune that would make you weep playing the Jeep can. And then while he was playing those uh, hymns and uh, songs, gospel songs, all of a sudden he'd reach down in his pocket and he'd pull out a mouth harp. And I never heard anyone that could play a mouth harp like Domenador. When I first met him, I suppose about 19 years of age, I knew him across for a few years. But Domenador would play that mouth harp, beat that jeep can so beautifully that he would just move and melt your heart. <laughs> and then he would reach into his pocket again and he'd get out a second mouth harp. And he would play that, and he'd have two of them going back and forth in his mouth, playing the counter melody and beating the jeep can with his heels and beating out, that was his drum. And he would play that, and it would really move your heart. And then he would reach down in his pocket, and he'd get the third one. And he would play two in his mouth, slip the third one up to his nose, and he would play three mouth harps. I have him on recording, playing those three mouth harps and, uh, on that Jeep can. I tell you what, folk, uh, I have sat and bawled till I've made myself sick just hearing that boy play. And he loved, and you know, when he was playing his uh, drums and beating uh, along like that, he would get around and uh, visit in his neighborhood and people would meet him on the road and he'd say, would you like for me to play a song? And, and he would play the song and he'd lead folks to, to the church and, and I liked it. <laughs> I always did. You know, the last service when I got to see Domenador, uh, he came for our farewell. I wish I had it on recording the eulogies. Our Filipino people can really make eulogies. I'd like to play it to Mrs. Gale sometimes to uh, just have her remember, you know, uh, how wonderful I really was. Uh, she, those fellas, they, they can really do it. Well, they just had a whole service uh, to tell you how they appreciated you and what you meant to them. And, and I, I like it. I, I guess maybe better than I should, but I, it sounds kind of nice uh, anyhow and uh, and I'd listen to them with their eulogies and you know the last thing on the ceremony they said Dominador is going to play he has a special song all pre prepared for brother and sister Gail and he got on his jeep can and he started to play and he played his mouth harps one two three and and with his nose and he was just a going at that when he added one new feature for us and he got off of the jeep can and then he started going around it hopping on one leg and playing it with his heel and playing three mouth harps going around that jeep can i tell you i called him a one-man band i i it was really something 
interesting to watch uh, Domenidor as he was demonstrating uh, his expression of love. That was the only, he couldn't speak English. And so then he sat down after he'd gotten through. Then he spoke a little bit in their uh, Ilocano dialect. And uh, our national president interpreted. He said, Brother Gale, Domenidor saying, when you go back to the States, I'd like to have you, we'd like to have you uh, see if you can't get us a real drum. I'd like to have a real drum. You folks know what I did. I hunted all over the country for a drum for Domenidor. Oh, I want him to have one. But I am a 30-second scotch. I never like to pay, pay too much for anything. And I shopped, and I shopped. Finally, I got in a, one of those pawn shops over in uh, Louisville. And uh, that fellow looked kind of kind. I'd found just the kind of a drum that I thought Domenador needed. And so I said, I've got a story I'd like to tell you. I'd like to buy that drum if you could make the price right. Time I got through telling him about Domenidor and doing my bawling. He's bawling too. <laughs> said, I'll see what I got on the books. <laughs> it was only $20. I just got to tell it once and somebody gave me the $20 so I didn't get the blessing of buying it myself. <laughs> Sent it over with Brother Robert Brock when he went over <laughs> and he took it to Domenidor. But the latter came back to say, Brother Gale, I don't think Domenidor will ever get to play the Jeep cans. He's very, or play the drum. He's very, very sick. And then a letter came just shortly after that. Domenidor died. We went over. I had thought of riding over and asking them if they could get me that Jeep can. I have missionary, <laughs> I don't know how many artifacts from our travels. We could almost start a young museum, but I wanted that Jeep can. When we got over there, I thought, well, I'll try and see if I can get it anyhow. So I started telling his pastor, the former pastor was there also. Those men were there several of them. We were talking about Domenidor. I told them how I loved him. They all loved him. I said, I, I wish I could get a hold of Domenidor's Jeep can. He said, do you suppose there'd be any possibility? No, Brother Gale. His last request, his dying request was that he wanted to have his Jeep can buried with him. So I couldn't get it. I felt bad. I have wondered on resurrection morning or when we get there, you, you theologians, you tell me, will Domenidor have his jeep can up yonder? Will it be a harp with a thousand? I don't know what he's going to have in, in the city, but it was sure a, a real blessing. But as I was talking to them, the pastor came out and they were just exchanging a few words and the pastor 
said, you know, Brother Gale, Domenador never got to play the drums. He just got to see them, that was all. His former pastor got amused and almost turned handsprings. And I, we were looking at him, wise lad, and he said he didn't see him at all. All he got to do is just feel of it. <laughs> he was blind. <laughs> and so uh, after we'd talked just a little bit, Paul Landicho came out of the bedroom. And he said, Brother Gale, here, you take these. These are all that Domenador really had that he really cherished, but he cherished these two things. And they gave them to me, but they'll mean more to you than they will to anybody else. I want you to have them. You take them. Oh, I said, Paul, I couldn't take those. You want them. Brother Gale, Domenador would want you to have them, and I want you to have them. And so I, I, I cried and I thanked him for them, but I said, I can understand he'd need a belly club. Dogs are bad over there. They're scared in the dark. And it's kind of handy to have one around to swat a dog with, a little bit of protection. I could understand the belly club, but a blind man and a lantern. This is a kerosene lantern. What did he want that kerosene lantern for? <laughs> you can come up and examine it. Don't anybody please steal it. <laughs> I, I cherish this. I love this lantern. <laughs> I tell you what, when they told me the story about him with a lantern, you know, they thought they ought to have night services. But the folk were afraid to come out because of there's highwaymen, there's robbers, there's dogs, there's so many things that lurk at night and you can't hardly have a service. But he got along as good at night as he did in the daytime. And so he got him a lantern. And he said, I'll come out and get you folks. And I'll protect you and I'll bring you to service. And if he would do that, why, they'd come along. So he wouldn't light his lamp till he got there, but when he'd get to the first place, he'd light the lantern. And then he would start rapping on their doors, and he would invite them to come right along with him, and he'd get a whole crowd of them uh, coming along, and he carried the lantern and led them all the way to church. <laughs> and then you would see him in just a little bit uh, going out, they said, another direction. He took his church bus, and he went out across the village, and uh, he rapped on doors, and here he came back with a second load. <laughs> and, and he couldn't stop with that. There's some more out there that wouldn't get in if he didn't go after him. And so he took his church bus and got another load. Came, you know, after service, he had to take them all home. <laughs> he used his church bus. Bought, brought more into the church and into the kingdom. Most of our folks in the Philippines, can you hear me all right yet? <laughs> I'm afraid more than most of us are doing. You know why? 
he met Jesus one day and he came into his heart and changed his life and it was filled with love and he knew that his people was going to be damned if he didn't get them. He knew they were going to be lost if he didn't show them love and, and so he got his little light and he, he went out and he got them in and he brought them to God and I think the Lord liked to send us out of this convention. I believed to get them. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Interchurch Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. Keep passing it on, keep passing it on.